This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Punching Potato, Garlic Bread, Eric, Dragon Workshop, Spike, and Red Dead Coquette. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskias, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, and Cheryl. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, it's me, Adam, your old pal. Um, so we got some stuff to talk about. If you haven't been in our Discord, uh, then you may not know that Andrew is uh, taking a break from the show. And by a break, we mean pretty much totally changing his role uh, regarding it. We all have uh, moments in our lives where we have to reassess what it is that we need. And right now, what he really needs is some time and some uh, focus taken away from this sort of thing uh, to focus on himself. And, you know, we applaud him. We encourage him in that. And, of course, we have nothing but the secret ingredient in our hearts for him. Expect that you will hear Andrew again uh, in the future, uh, but more as a guest role. Speaking as uh, speaking of guest roles, in his place, in his stead, maybe I'll say, we're going to bring in Miss Tiana Hansen as the co-host, who you may have heard of in past episodes as a guest, and also on our Fate School. And I felt, and Andrew felt, that this would be the most natural and proper replacement to maintain the the function and the tone of what it is that we're trying to do here, to spread that idea that good RPGs come from a place of love. And so, without further ado on that, I will introduce Tiana. Welcome. Hi, it's good to it's good to be here. It's good to be back. It's been a hot minute. It has, and you will be with us hopefully for some time. That um, is the plan, from what I understand. Yeah, well, ultimately, of course, it is up to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. It, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. I'm sorry there hasn't been more consistent episodes, uh, but. I think we can expect things to get back on track here pretty soon. Tiana has a lot of experience when it comes to production and editing and all that good stuff. Uh, furthermore, we're going to be hosted by Quests and Chaos. And so we will uh, give more information on that as we know it. So, uh, Tiana, why would you agree to such a thing? <laughs> Because I'm mad, Adam, clearly. <laughs> clearly. <laughs> no, um, this is something that I I absolutely love Inspiration Point. I've been a, a fan awesome. of the show for, you know, a significant amount of time. I actually was looking in my folder. I was a guest uh, 
almost two years ago uh, for the first wow. time, right? That was yeah. my reaction, too. I was like, oh, my gosh. It was, you know, September of 2021 where I first guested. And really, I, I spent a lot of time in the TTRPG space as both a GM and a player. And But I don't really... I don't really get space to talk about um, the mechanics of TTRPGs, to talk about um, all of the things that I love about Inspiration Point, talking about the reasons behind the, the, the three pillars or talking about going way back, you know, saving the cat, all of that sort of thing. So when you came and talked to me about this, uh, I was unbelievably blown away because being asked to being asked to do something like this is a dream. And then I had to go and uh, consult with my partner because, uh, as you point out, I do have a lot of things on my plate. And I was like, you do. Can I take on one more thing? And the answer, I think, is yes and with great joy. Awesome. Well, that is lovely to hear uh, that you simply added extensions to the edges of the plate as opposed to re like removing anything. So. <laughs> I'm glad you were able to do that for us. Hopefully this isn't a huge burden on your time, but also somewhat of a burden. <laughs> so, yeah, because um, uh, lift behind the curtain slightly, uh, I'm going to be taking over the editing side of things. Yeah. Uh, people who follow some of my other projects, this will not be as intensive as some of the other stuff I do, I promise. <laughs> And as far as the patron goes, we're keeping all of that the same. And as far as the patron games go, nothing there is changing either. I will continue to run games, though I may not be charging Tiana to be in them anymore. <laughs> uh, I think that's fair. <laughs> that that um, was something that I was looking because I'm in one of the patron games. I mean, I, I, I'm right. in the first of the patron games. Correct. Uh, so um, I was looking at that and going, we're, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> and you are, at least for now, still the, the current holder of most damage of all time dealt. Yes. Although our bugbear Gloomstalker in the other game is quickly catching up. Rangers are broken if you know how to use them. <laughs> well, Gloomstalker in particular is a ranger on steroids. Oh, it's true. I've, I've seen especially bugbear Gloomstalker ranger like that's the perfect build almost. Yeah, it's one of those builds that you might want to consider banning from your table. Because <laughs> uh, if they get to go before anyone, they just get nuked. And even without it, they still do plenty of damage. Um, just a lot of, of pain. Luckily, uh, my games are, are are pretty hard for the most part. I no, tend they to totally turn up the are. heat. Like, like I can do with, with Zeph in one of the patron games, I, I can and have done like 70 points of damage in a shot, and I've gotten nuked out of the sky before. That was <laughs> hilariously interesting. Yeah, I you know, I tend to turn up the heat, especially when players get good at this game, right? Mm-hmm. And I also enjoy just kind of letting the world just sort of make sense in its time and place without worrying too much about balance. And But I still like kind of eyeball it, right? Like I, I try not to make anything that's just outrageous. Uh, but, you know, anything past level, I would say like seven is pretty unreliable using the uh, the DMG. Um, I know that, you know, we, we've had uh, Dragna Carta on 
and he's had his system and it seems better, but I haven't fully implemented or, or tried it yet. I've been doing more of the, hey, here's what exists in the zone and assess it as you will. Yeah, and I, I will say that I do something very similar uh, because over on Quest and Chaos, I periodically run uh, the arena and I mean, my goal on that is always to nuke the players. And I have yet to get a TPK on that because players are more resourceful than uh, GMs give them credit for. It's very true. Also, the death saving throw mechanic is something that monsters don't have. True. But but players do. And so uh, in when it only takes one point of healing to get you back on your feet, it's really hard to bring down a, a player in fifth edition. So not so easy. Having said that, I ran an in-person game today How'd that and go? absolutely killed one of my players. Adam. Um, <laughs> I will say this. It's much easier to kill them at low levels, right? Well, sure. They were, they're squishy. They're squishy. And, you know, they don't know that con is really, really important yet. Um, oh, they're yeah, babies. So, so we, we had a halfling bard. Uh, get incinerated by a fireball. And uh, it just, it did exactly their HP doubled. Oh, no. In damage and brought them to a perfect death. And it was just instant. Just gone. And also, I killed a dog. Uh, See, one of that, them had, that's the one that makes you a real monster. <laughs> <laughs> that is the one that makes me a monster. The, the rest of the table was was quite sad when that happened. They were like, no. And when the when the player died, they were like, oh, uh, sorry about that. Wow, that sucks. I mean, that's that, that's fair. So who, who, who brought their pet along? Uh, so in one of the scenes, they had gone to a druid camp that had been ransacked by goblinoids. And the only survivor was this mastiff who was tied to a tree, <gasps> barking up a storm, but unable to do anything. Baby. The ranger had decided to tame the dog and to uh, make it her own. And, you know, just brought it into every battle. Oof. But it's not a ranger companion. It's just a mastiff. With basic Mastiff stats, but it loyally follows the commands of its new master all the way to its doom, being stabbed to death by kobolds. Oh, no. Isn't that sad? That's Isn't really that just the sad. saddest thing you've ever heard? Wow. But I do plan on doing something about that. I was thinking about maybe the the spirit of the of the dog you know, making its way into the ranger's true companion, like as a spirit. Ooh. So that, that way there's there's some relief there, but also, you know, some sorrow as well. Which Here will explain why of your actions. Yeah, there's consequences. And I think today was really about, hey, consequences do exist. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's been pretty easygoing some like up till now. But you you walk into this situation, you didn't assess it, you didn't respect it, you didn't make a plan, and you walked in on something you had no business walking in on. Mm. Based on information given to you by a captive who you killed, by the way. And so, lessons need to be learned. 
right? We need to go through some character arcs. So the surviving characters are going to have a change in perspective. Two of them were captured in the process and one escaped. And so there'll be some interesting things to do to really motivate them uh, into the storyline to do things like get revenge, but also to sort of redeem themselves. Sure. So... Yeah, we never did get to have the the conversation about character death that we, you know, promised to have back yoinks ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, it's it's one of those things that, you, you know, we've we all think about a little bit. But I don't know, at least for me, it doesn't happen often enough to, to you know, remain in mind, I guess. Well, and it's super interesting because the first like long term D&D game that I was in, our ranger died. And that was like my first real because I'd, I'd played like one offs and one or two shots in like 3.5 and fourth, as my Facebook yes. memories will occasionally remind me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't really play like a long term game until I moved in with a house full of geeks and we played through a one to seven campaign and our ranger just flat out died. He got uh, nuked by a beholder. Oh, my favorite monster. Oh, my gosh. And all the rest of us were outside listening because he was supposed to go in, finish the negotiations. We had finished a, a job for the Beholder and go in, finish the negotiations. Then he found out that the Beholder was creating like an overmind and attacked the Beholder. And we were all like, I get it. But oh no! <laughs> but Why? you don't know this game very well, do you? No, he um, know he knew, he knows the game very well. Uh, he, oh really? Like I was the newest player at the table. Oh my gosh! Um, which wasn't saying much, but he was he was one of those <laughs> players who played more for the story than for optimization, which I admire and respect. Mm -hmm. But it also had us in the last, because it was very close to the end of the campaign. So in the last like four sessions, we had to deal with his new character that everyone hated. Yes. My, yes. my, my bard almost hexed him multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's too bad. Like I will come back and with a character you all dislike. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, we're just going to like shuffle you off into the river with some weights on your ankles. Okay, bye. <laughs> Yeah, getting the right party dynamic is probably the biggest challenge in this game. Truly. Yeah, it's 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 tougher than Demogorgon, you know, <laughs> just trying to get everything together, get schedules to line up and even more difficult personalities to mesh. I mean, we're all so different. And so everybody needs to have a certain level of of tolerance, you know, that goes beyond our our um more superficial differences and goes more into the, you know, our mindsets and personalities. And, you know, there is, there is a wide array of, of different ways of thinking in this player base. And I, you know, one, I guess one of the things we're trying to do with the show is up that level of tolerance to give each other some grace mm -hmm. and to, and to give some room. So, um, you know, speaking of your experience, I know you talked about this before on our original uh, interview of you, but um, since, you know, people probably didn't hear that uh, necessarily or remember it because it was a couple of years ago, you know, let's give you a proper introduction and kind of just talk about, you know, how you got into the hobby, 
Um, and what events kind of shaped your view of it? Sure. So, hi, I'm Tiana Ren Hansen. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful to re-meet everyone. Um, I've been, t I had really been tangentially aware of D&D for a long time. One of my best friends back in, I, I, I was born and raised in Fairbanks, Alaska, and one of my best friends there really wanted to get me into uh, D&D and Pathfinder because he was really into both of those. Uh, I love the guy to pieces. He's not a tremendously good teacher. And both of those systems are very, very crunchy, at least before like fifth edition. So I had been tangentially aware of D&D &D and Pathfinder and other TTRPGs for years but hadn't really got into them until I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area, where I live now, and specifically moved in, as I said before, I moved into a house of three geeks. And I very specifically remember, um, we didn't even have all the furniture moved in yet, but in the house group chat, uh, Benjamin, who was our house GM, I want to say, Sent the, sent the message out being like, right, I'm drawing maps. Everyone start rolling up characters. We're going to start playing D&D &D, uh, on Wednesday. I'm like, we don't even have the furniture in yet. What are you doing? <laughs> this is a guy that has his priority straight. Seriously. <laughs> I think I yeah. even put like on Facebook, you know, you're moving into the right house when when D&D &D planning happens before the furniture's in. So, you know, we're, we're getting a new house, um, my family, and we're moving and we're we're just waiting for it to get finished up being built. And you better believe that during the model walkthroughs, we were talking D&D &D tables. Like yes. we were talking about where things are going to go and how we're going to shelf everything. I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to having a dedicated space where like minis are just going to be on display and I don't have to put them in like little compartments where they get ruined. I am 100% looking forward to coming out and seeing it when you have it all set up. Absolutely. You will have a place at the table. And, uh, you know, if as long as Andrew's not there at the same time, a place to sleep. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, heck, uh, I guess we, we could have a couch anyway. We can make him go there. Um, oh, I see where the hierarchy is. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, I am old school enough, you know. Um, so anyway, uh, after making friends and moving in. Uh, what kept you going? What really worked about that game for you where you were like, you know, maybe I'm into this? So it was it was a homebrew campaign that Benjamin created and set up for us. And what worked for me was having the story buy in for my character. It was um, my character was a, a half elf who was born on the wrong side of the sheets to an elven princess. And she knew who her mother was and was Ooh. not pleased about it Uh oh, because <laughs> she was raised in the same city. Like she got dropped off on the doorstep of the servants quarters of here, you raise this. Mm. And so a big part of her like motivation was, you know, getting back at her mom for all mm. of that. Classic. But then, you know, there was this family that was setting up uh, disasters to take over the world, you know, classic, like you do. Mm -hmm. And there was a very specific time that they could do that. Also yeah. very classic. And looking back on it, like, it was very tropey. 
but the tropes, tropes were, were well, great. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it was Stephen King who said, you know, uh, stereotypes and tropes are the 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 hammers and screwdrivers in the toolbox. They are they're they're so useful. They can yes. be overused, but they work in so many situations. They really do. So what worked about these tropes for you specifically? Being able to really just like dig into, you know, what does my character feel about this and what keeps her motivated to keep saving a world that wants nothing to do with her. So you were intrigued by the role play aspect more than anything, it sounds like. Yeah. And how in-depth the GM was getting with your character and that you were allowed to get with it. Did you have a background in acting or anything like that prior? Uh, yes, I had gotten my bachelor's degree in theater back in Fairbanks. So I had actually moved to the Bay Area specifically to act. Like that was the goal. So I, I had I had that to to pull on, and that definitely informed it because I was not good at the mechanics. It's funny now looking back because it's been oof, five plus years at this point. Yeah. Um, but that's also only how long I've been playing seriously. And people hear that and are like, no, because I know the rules really well now. <laughs> yeah, now you now you know I'm pretty good. You know, I mean, I would say, you know, among the player types, I would put Optimizer in there. Maybe it wouldn't be the primary, but it would definitely be part of it. Absolutely. You know, it's it's good to feel powerful, to feel effective. I also think that the Optimizer has a good place you know, in terms of the health of a game, as long as they don't like try to become the anime protagonist. Oh, yeah. It, it's like really good for players to know what their buttons are because that helps the rest of the party survive. Right. And to be able to flourish. I think the best optimizer, though, helps everyone else. You know, they reach and, and help out the others that are struggling. Absolutely. To and understand and their potential. Yeah, and that's always something that I love doing. Um, when I joined Quest and Chaos, I was put next to to someone else. I, I was still very new to D&D. Like, uh, Andraste over on Quest and Chaos was my second character that I'd ever built, which still blows my mind to think about, <laughs> to be perfectly yeah, that, honest. Yeah, that's a character that you reference often in our other things. Yeah, I, I, I loved playing Andraste. She was fun. <laughs> Yes. And it, was that before or after Dragon Age that you, oh. that you use that name? <laughs> after. Very much after. <laughs> I, got, I got into Dragon Age when I lived in Fairbanks. I got into that game oof, 12 years ago, 13 years yeah. ago. Yeah. I think that was one of the first ways you and I realized we had a lot in common because we had both finished Dragon Age like several times. Yeah, Dragon Age Origins, I I played through all of the openings at least once to get the trophies. Yes. I did all of the bad options to get that trophy and it broke my heart every time. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care how many times I've been through the fade level, I always look up a walkthrough because I will miss something. Oh my gosh. The yes. freaking Wizard's Tower. Oh, man, I after I had beaten the game about a dozen times, I finally downloaded a mod that allowed me to skip the fade. Oh, uh, and that really was a game changer that made the game so much better. <laughs> By the way, the the um, the act of the game where you deal with the cultists and learn more about Andraste, I think is the strongest of the four that you go to. Um, mm. 
And so uh, I think the lead up to it's really good because it's kind of like the second half to the Redcliffe stuff. Sure. That makes sense. I just I like Haven. I like how creepy it is. I like all the characters that are there. I think the challenges are interesting. And, uh, you know, as opposed to like the deep roads, which just is just like they definitely made it feel endless (laughs) (laughs) forever. Here's the funny thing. I, the player, am not claustrophobic. I have so many characters who are. <laughs> What's up with that? I don't know. I don't I don't like being underground. I don't I, I I don't like the thought of getting stuck underground, but it's not a particular phobia for me. But I mean Zeph wasn't claustrophobic before you kept sticking her underground. <laughs> well, the, the only way I can challenge her is to do that. <laughs> so You're not wrong. <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, creating on Andras and Niala was very much after playing Dragon Age. And I actually didn't even really think about it at the time. I just liked the name. Right. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, the prophetess. Oh, OK, cool. And that began the string because my my bard character in the home game was Ari and then Andraste. And then in the Call of Cthulhu game, I played Alexandria. And I was mm-hmm. like, I need to do characters that don't to have names to start with an A, huh? <laughs> or only do characters that start with A. <laughs> you start running out of them after a while. You, you jumped all the way to Z with, <laughs> with Zeph. I did. Um, so you're working your way to the middle, I see. Well, you know, Caladre is kind of in the middle. Yeah, it is kind of in the middle. Um, by the way, uh, you know, Caladre has a special place in my heart um, because that was a game that we were both in. And uh, I was playing a bard slash paladin named Roland, and your Keladry was a uh, a cleric, and they had an in-game romance, uh, which uh, for for me at least was the probably the most fulfilling part of the game, um, and in a way where we we approached it in a way that I would recommend to other people. Where I think that our handling of it was was very good. So, you know, first of all, you know, none of that bled into anything weird, no. right? And we were very upfront about that. And you approached me out of game uh, before really kind of initiating hard in character, right? Yeah, because because I recognized uh, that that Keladry was starting to flirt with Roland, and I know yes. that some people can get um, a uncomfortable uncomfortable about it. I'm not even going to say weird yeah. about it because like there is a lot of it's like a uh, actor bromances. There is a lot of like IRL feels that can that can cross over that sort of thing. Absolutely. So I wanted to check in with you and be like, if this is not okay, I will stop, and we will say no more about it. And I, th- I think your exact comment was, we both play Bioware games. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, by the, And it's kind of my way for, like, both with, like, you and Andrew, you guys write me these big, long, well-thought-out, crafted <laughs> – and then I I give you back like a sentence. <laughs> you but know? what you say gets right to the point because I I 
one of my like character flaws is I will write or speak a lot because I'm unsure that I'm getting across what I want to get across. And I want to make sure that I'm understood and I want to make sure that there's not a lot of room for misunderstanding because like I have had lots of experiences where what I meant to say was not what the other person heard or read. Right. So I get really like I will over communicate in hopes of keeping that from happening. So it'll be like Andrew never left. Um, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, we love Andrew so much. Um, so we it, we agreed to that outside the game. Then we then we continued as the game progressed. And whenever the characters would, you know, have an intimate moment, we would do a tasteful uh, fade to black with uh, no real description there. And... I think most of the players at the table were were pretty much fine with it, and at least for me, it was it was my biggest motivator to care about the game and the characters in it, because it was really all about that that relationship at that point. Because like you know, killing dragons is cool and all, and that's definitely part of it. But most good stories are love stories on some level. I mean, even Star Wars has has love in it. Oh, lots of love stories. Well, and you also said to me, and I agree with this, like usually when a character has a romance, it's with an NPC and they get to get together with that NPC at the end of the mission. Like that's part of their retirement. But uh, with Roland and Kelladre, their relationship developed over the course of the campaign and went from hey, it, 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 it seems like we would have a lot of fun together to, oh, no, I'm catching feelings, mm-hmm. to uh, getting engaged. And then the truly tragic ending. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Though not, not as tragic as I was kind of hoping for. We, we, we still had happy times. Yeah, there was still. So for, for those who weren't in the game, uh, it was essentially a Will Turner, Elizabeth Swan thing because Roland went off to be a new <laughs> god and yeah. uh, Kelladry stayed behind to be the protector of the Wild Coast. She refused the title of queen because that felt weird after all of the cycles of champion versus queen. Yes, that would have felt odd in that situation. Yeah, but became the protector of the Wild Coast and queen in all but name. And, yeah. you know... They had kids together. They saw each other every 13 years or so. Yep. Which I think is the best thing for a relationship when you think about (laughs) it. Just stay the heck away from each other, you know? Wow. (laughs) Hey, listen. (laughs) I mean, there there are arguments for having, like, separate sleeping spaces, and I, I agree with most of them. Right. Uh, you know, you watch like uh, Game of Thrones or like the Tudors or something and like in like you go to visit. Right. And I was like, yeah, that's weird. And then I was like, but also, <laughs> I mean, there is an argument to be made for like then every moment that you spend with that person is special and wonderful and precious. Right. On the flip side, I do love the like day to day of, you know, there was there was a thing that, that I wrote after a breakup at one point where I was like, you know, all of the rest of it's fine. But what I really miss is washing someone else's back in the shower. Oh, <laughs> or getting yours washed. Yeah, just, so nice. it's it's the little mundane, homey day to day things that I I like. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think, you know, I well, I don't want to get too far down that <laughs> rabbit hole because we could really 
we could really go there for a minute. Um, so after, oh, by the way, I do want to point out that you, uh, your dream going to the Bay Area was to become an actress, and you, and you were successful in that. You do act, you act often, and do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of projects you do and stuff? Absolutely. So I have been connected to uh, Quest and Chaos for four and a half, coming up on five years now. Goodness gracious. Uh, and I came in through an audition that was on the casting networks where I, I saw it and I was like, oh, this is like I had just heard about Critical Role. And here's a fun fact. I came at Critical Role and Matt Mercer from the other direction. I started following Matt Mercer because he was Yusuke in Persona 5. Uh, right. And then I saw him uh, posted about this thing, Critical Role, and I was like, what the heck is that? So I looked it up and I'm like, oh, that's cool. They're playing D&D. Did you know that he is going to be playing Minsk? In yes. Baldur's Gate 3. Yes, I'm very excited about that. And he can absolutely nail the voice. I've seen oh my gosh. little videos. And he captures the, the original actor pretty well. Matt Mercer, man of a thousand voices. He, he is, really is. He, and he is very much like a role model that I have as a voice actor. Because that's, oh, sure. a lot of, that's a lot of what I do now as far as like paid acting work is uh, voice acting and stuff. But... Hmm. Um, so I, I applied and went in and auditioned and got cast in Chaos Agents, which is where I started playing Andraste. And then I got into Call of Cthulhu, which I had never played before, and built uh, Alexandria. I kind of hacked the system and figured out how to make a rogue in Call of Cthulhu. Wow. <laughs> It got to the point where the handler was just always like, I just assume at this point that you always have a dagger on you. <laughs> and this was accurate because Alexandria had uh, daggers strapped to both forearms and, and uh, both thighs at all times. Of course. As you, I mean, that's what I do in real life. I don't know. <laughs> I mean. You never know when, when things are going to go down, you know? It's, it's very true. But it sort of expanded <laughs> from there. Like, I had said... I was on uh, a one shot for one of the other D&D shows, Natural One, and infamously, I said, I'm at a table full of GMs and I have absolutely no interest in GMing myself. Screen wipe <laughs> to now <laughs> when I'm running uh, Thirsty Sword Lesbians on Quests and Chaos. Yes. Uh, the, first times that, the first time that we've done a Powered by the Apocalypse game on the channel. Yeah. Uh, I've also run several D&D games on the channel, uh, Swords and mm -hmm. Sages, um, Dragons of uh, Dragons of Stormwreck Isle, uh, and I've I'm frequently on. I, that's, yes. <laughs> I'm frequently a player in any of the games, mostly because I don't have a life and I have no problem just showing up and playing a game. You're right, and you were a joy to have, by the way. Oh, thank um, it's you. really fun having you as a player. Um, I've really been fortunate to cultivate some great players from the patron um, system. Um, although our first game together was was not uh, through Patreon, I did a Storm King's Thunder game uh, that our mutual friend Spike had invited you to. Or no, 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 no. It, it went further back than that because I had oh, been in it? I had been in Spike's uh, Tiamat game and he invited uh, Annika and Ura to come into the big like 
three campaigns ending one shot with like 12 players. Mm, right. I do remember that. Yep. That he read. And it was after that that you invited me to come play Storm King's Thunder, which I was Is super. How, okay. I was super flattered by that because I was like, wow, I didn't really. I didn't really have a chance to do much, but you wanted to, you wanted me in your game, and I'm really excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I and uh, also got AJ in that game too, at yeah. least a little bit, which was great. Um, AJ was then, fun to play with. <laughs> he was really fun, and I hope I get to play with him again sometime. Um, he is a busy bee. True. How do you feel about Delta Green? I'm going to run a one shot for that at some point. Yeah. Well, you know, I am down for anything that you want to run. Um, I am happy to do that. Um, and I am always looking forward to, um, you know, more opportunities to get to play and to flex my acting muscles. Absolutely. Cause I remember you mentioning that in a recent episode that, you know, you are the GM, you're like the forever GM and that's yes. just kind of been your role. I think that's one of the reasons why I treasure the memories of, of Roland and Caladry so much, because I don't think we're ever going to get to be players together again. <laughs> <laughs> it may not happen. It may not. Um, that, that was lightning striking, getting to have that game. I think so. I think so. I mean, I'm trying to remember the last time I got to play in a game with Andrew. I mean, it was... Sure. I mean, years ago, you know. Uh, in fact, that was also a spike game. Yep. Uh, the, the last time we got to do that. Was that with Promise or a different character? Yeah, it was. Pro he was Promise, and I was Amarak, a half-orc paladin. And uh, so I have a paladin thing, apparently. Uh, you know, I, I play a lot of clerics. I have no room to talk. <laughs> and we definitely had a hard bromance. Like, it was like, it was like every episode of Scrubs, you know? Yes! It, <laughs> it was just, you know, absolutely two bros that love each other so much. And uh, then... Uh, with Chris's character, um, we had sort of a, you know, we love each other, but we're never going to do anything about it kind of thing. Because mm. I'm a half work and you're a halfling and I'll break you. And uh, I just don't feel it that way. But I will absolutely die for you. That kind of thing. I, I had something kind of similar with Andraste and Remy in, mm -hmm. uh, in the first campaign of Chaos Agents because like... She was super naive. Wood Elf had been raised in the forest and didn't really know people. And then she was out in the world and being like, oh, no, everyone's hot. What do I do? <laughs> so she didn't know what to do with this halfling swashbuckler rogue who was flirting with her all of the time. And when she realized that she wanted to do something about it, it was already basically too late. So oh, boy. Yeah, it, uh, it was it was very interesting playing that out. And I mean, Bo and I are, are dear friends, and so we could like talk about things like that and be like, "We good? Cool, we're good." So originally, for for our topic tonight, we were going to talk about some of the soft rules um, that often get ignored. But I feel like we should maybe talk about that at another time. Okay. And instead, maybe kind of get into the role of romance in uh, in a game. Um, that is definitely something I've never talked to uh, Andrew about really very much. <laughs> uh, we just never quite got there in the same way. Sure. So even though I was always willing to play female characters, but he would not do it um, unless it was like a requirement of the game, which happened once. And he still played the manliest woman ever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, I mean, the lumberjack lesbians are a trope for a reason. 
I, and that's absolutely what he was. It was <laughs> um, he was uh, a Goliath barbarian or fighter. It was one of the two. Yes. And so, like, he loves him some Goliaths for sure. Uh, they are cool. They are really cool. I mostly play elves and half elves, so I like the wayfish type. So out of all of your experiences from these games, if you were to put a number on it, if you were to say, like, percentage-wise, how how much did the romance impact your memory of the game? Ooh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> because I have had in-character romances or edging edging on romances, I think four times within Ooh. within the game itself. Because I think that would be a high number for most players. I mean, I play a lot of games, so I'm not sure what what that is as far as like ratio for anyone <laughs> else. But Andrasse had had that kind of like weird kind of romance with Remy before it was mutually agreed upon that no, this is a bad idea. She's an elf. He's a halfling. She will outlive him by like scads of years. Yes. Um, and then in uh, Dragons of Aspire Peak. Isolde, my paladin, had a romance with an NPC, and then Call of Cthulhu, Alexandria, had a romance with another player character, Donal, and then Caledrian Roland. Um, mm. And it's interesting that you ask how much that affects my memory of it, because thinking about it, Caledrian and Alexandria are the two characters that I keep coming back to mentally, and part of that is all of the moments that we never got to see, mm -hmm. you know, because like if you're writing, no, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that specifically? Sure, sure, sure. So if you're writing or reading a romance novel, for example, like you watch the uh, development of the relationship between the romance characters and you right. get to see like most of the moments that lead to them being in a relationship or if it happens fairly early on the development of the relationship and in mm -hmm. TTRPGs, that's not the focus. And it shouldn't be the focus, unless you're playing something like Thirsty Sword Lesbians, where relationships are the focus. But that's a whole different system. Right. And the system is built around that. D&D &D isn't. D&D &D is a war game first, really. In a it lot of, is. In, in a lot it of ways. Like, we can argue about that all day long, I'm sure. But No, it, no I 100% agree with you. I think, you know, 99% of the book is d devoted to mechanics. Absolutely. Right. And so it's and very the mechanics clear. And then are it, mostly focused on like investigation or fighting. Correct. And and mostly fighting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. between those two. Right. And then when you also consider the history of it coming from Chainmail, then, of course, the, you know, it's really the newest generation that has almost completely flipped it on its head. A lot of players, younger players anyway, that I interact with play the game religiously and barely know the rules at all. Mm. Um, they're basically rolling 20s, making up numbers, and then just deciding what happens, right? Like they're treating it like a soft system, which if you're all having fun is, you know, it's totally acceptable, of course, as long as everyone at the table wants that. Absolutely. But that isn't what D&D &D is built to be. I say with the Correct. heaviest quotation marks around it. Yeah, it's not by intent. So the fact, so being able to like, the brain does not like putting away things that are unfinished. Mm. So 
any time that there is, you know, the stolen moment between between the two lovers. Yes. I actually wrote a lot of stuff around Alexandria and Donald around the moments that got kind of skipped over because it's Call of Cthulhu. It's horror. We're going to go and deal with Nyarlathotep. There's a lot going on, but I wrote some of the like stolen moments between these two characters because my brain wouldn't put it away. And I think right. that's part of why it sticks in my head is because um, I wanted to explore the moments that didn't happen on screen, but I felt like did happen. That's really interesting. Like you canonized it for yourself. Absolutely. I wrote fan fiction for my own character. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is, you have every right to do. Uh, did you uh, share these writings with the other player? I did. And, the, and they approved of them and they were also canonized. Wonderful. I mean, I didn't share them with the Keeper because I have noticed that a lot of GMs have issues with romance, or if not issues, at least a certain level of discomfort with them. So I don't necessarily share unless I'm asked. It is definitely one of those things that you want to establish beforehand, right? Like Absolutely. Like, you knew that there was chemistry between Kelogy and, and Roland, so you, you came to me and said, here's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to do anything you're not comfortable with. And I was like... Awesome. I'm I am down. And we agreed on the fade to black, you know, uh, air, you know, uh, air blowing gently through the curtains, you know, <laughs> that, that sort of thing. Boots, boots at the foot of the bed. Yes. <laughs> uh, like they would do in uh, the uh, the Truman show, like they would explain that every time they would go to the window and play music. One of my favorite. Oh, yeah. I forgot. You don't watch movies. <laughs> I've seen the Truman Show. I saw okay. it recently. <laughs> OK, thank goodness. Um, OK, so I'm just going to establish this right now as as, yes. your, as your fellow co-host to all of the listeners of Inspiration Point. If you have to ask, Tiana, have you seen this movie? The answer is almost certainly no. <laughs> yeah, I don't I watch a lot of movies. I'm working on it. Like one of my goals every week <laughs> is to watch a movie that I haven't seen before. Yeah, Tiana's seen less movies than Captain America. Yes, um, and I have a very similar list. <laughs> now, now, do, yeah, okay, so you do get that I reference. I do understand okay. that reference. <laughs> God, I feel like Captain America. I understand that reference. <laughs> I understand that reference. <laughs> I, I'm mostly caught up on most of the, well, most of the, like, up to end game of uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I fell off when they started requiring television shows in order to understand the movies. Oh, man. Well, and nothing happened watch, after Endgame anyway, so don't I worry about it. I want to watch the television shows. I really want to see WandaVision. It looks good. WandaVision's looks, worth it. It looks terrifying and sad and wonderful, and I want to watch it, but I can't watch Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness until I see that. Yeah, and, and that's that a huge irritates lead you. In for Wanda. And yeah, that, that really irritates me. I really want to be able to just sit down and watch the movie. When well, I have just, to commit just nine hours Multiverse to it. of Madness and just watch WandaVision. <laughs> but Adam, Benedict Cumberbatch. Ah, <laughs> uh, fair enough. Fair enough. You know, I get it. I get like, it. Like, one of the few things that I've watched on repeat is the BBC Sherlock. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my wife loved uh, all of the Sherlock types so out there. Good. I, I, I say staring at my shelves of Sherlock Holmes pastiche novels. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, if you like Sherlock Holmes, then, yeah, all the Call of Cthulhu stuff makes a lot of sense. 
Exactly. I mean, there are even like I'm looking at it right now, uh, Sherlock Holmes and the Miskatonic Monstrosities by by James Lovegrove. There's a lot of like crossover possibilities between mm. Cthulhu and Sherlock Holmes because it's all that Gaslight Victorian era. So um, when it comes to media that you have consumed, uh, what pieces of that media do you think have best informed the way you view romance and stories? Hmm. So you wish I had prepped you with any of these questions, but you realize I didn't prep the questions we, either. We, we, we did not. We did not talk about this being the subject of the uh, of the no, podcast I, today, a, but I'm, I'm here for it. I like it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think one of the best ones that informed a lot of how I think about romance and media was Lord of the Rings. Really? Yeah. Really? And that's weird Be- to think about. <laughs> between which characters? That was the big thing, wasn't it? Because there was this, the, the contrast between Arwen and Aragorn and Eowyn being in love with Aragorn. Mm-hmm. And just like the difference in the dynamics between that, watching this pure, beautiful, he is going to do everything he can to make this happen romance. Because, I mean, so Sherlock Holmes and Lord of the Rings are two of my like special <laughs> interests. Like I speak uh, Elvish. Okay. Poorly, but I speak Elvish. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even I don't speak Elvish. Um, but I speak French, which is pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> I speak I speak Russian badly, but <laughs> uh, I see. Um but yeah, getting to watch that like pure beautiful romance that started when, you know, Aragorn still didn't even know his true name at the time when he was 20 and he saw her from afar and oh my goodness, she is everything to me. And then getting to know her over the course of 60 plus years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was that kind of uh, devotion and power behind the, that love that is very powerful to me where it's like, not only is she to him someone that he deeply admires, but he also respects and loves and is like, I don't agree with what you're doing, sweetheart, but I back you anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And don't even try to tell me that Roland hasn't said that at least once. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, so but that's very telling, though, right? Because now I'm like, oh, okay, I'm seeing where like the bones of it are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we talked about Dragon Age earlier, and I know that your favorite romantic partner in the Dragon Age game is, uh, the first one anyway, is Alistair. And Roland and Alistair had a few things in common. I was over here because uh, Tanya would send me uh, pieces of, like, fan art and stuff, and I was like, that's from Dragon Age, isn't it? I recognize Alistair. <laughs> he looks so much like Roland, it scares me. <laughs> but yeah that like the dragon age origin game was very i guess it was very telling for me as well because like there's this bit between alistair and morgan when they're you know walking behind the 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 leader and morgan is needling alistair and being like you just like giving up control to a strong woman don't you he's like what do you want me to say i like being bossed (laughs) around by strong women yes obviously (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, oh, that informed a bit there, too, didn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And, and Roland, I would say, had a similar predilection. <laughs> 
which is which is odd because I that is definitely not my predilection, but um, it is you know for the fictional character it worked great. Yeah, it did. And I, and I often thought about Alistair in terms of his characterization, like he was kind of Alistair plus uh, King George. <laughs> so interesting. For, yeah, no, I can see that, especially with the voice that you chose for him. <laughs> I did. I tried to do the, the, the Queen's accent and then I like over time, I, I kind of softened it and mm-hmm. became just more of like an English gentleman uh, without necessarily doing that Windsor you know, I have to do this, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> like Everything yeah. is like this weird E sound. But one of the one of the YouTube channels that I've been watching a lot lately is uh, Cinema Therapy, which. Oh, I, I have seen that, too. I enjoy it. I really enjoy them. And one of the things that I love that Jono brings up about like relationships in media is one of the healthy things is accepting influence from each other. And that yes. was something that. I really loved about Caledrian Roland. Like, I watched Roland change alignments. <laughs> yes, you did. Yeah. I was stunned because he went from, what was it, lawful neutral to... Yeah, uh, lawful neutral. Lawful neutral to what? Neutral good? Essentially neutral. Well, I, it was like, yeah, it was like lawful neutral to like lawful good to maybe more neutral good, maybe even chaotic good, like somewhere in there where like the law side had slowly eroded away. And that was fascinating to watch over the course of like yes. two and a half years because Kelladry kept pushing that, especially when we were in Falkovnia, where it was like, this is law without conscience. Pointing right, it to was the straight up fascism. It. Yeah. And he was like, well. And she was like, I can't define necessarily what good is, but that's bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, at the time when we had started that game and when we had gotten to that chapter, uh, one of my coworkers, he teaches philosophy, and mm. he and I have spent many an hour uh, over many a drink uh, discussing things like God and morality and like subjectivity versus objectivity. And he's really done a lot to challenge the way I think about morality. Interesting. And I think I brought <laughs> a lot of that with me because I keep like in games wanting people to answer questions for me and if they can and give me a different perspective. I also um, tend to play characters that go under alignment changes of some kind, hmm. uh, whether whether I mean to or not. Um, Amarak had gone under a similar change uh, where he had a very militaristic view of like, you know, black and white, good and evil, pure and impure uh, and then becoming more nuanced mm-hmm. and compassionate over time. Um, and then, like, back in the day, I had played this cleric that went from good to straight-up evil oh, wow. to to redeeming good again. Oh, I love that. I love those kinds of stories. Right? Yeah, it's like, oh, you went full edgelord, and then all went to hell. Like, no, no, it, it did. Oh, and then, uh, and then he died at the end, like the very last thing. Uh, it was the big sacrifice play, um, which was awesome. By the way, like that's that's definitely got to be on an RPG player's bucket list is like, you know, die at the epic moment at the end. I almost had that. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> but it, ma- it made more sense for Victoria to, uh, you know, become the raven. Like that was that was her goal from the beginning was to become a, a bird again. So it made sense. You're right. Yeah. 
But also, Kelladry accepted influence from Roland. Like, she was mm. always more of the, like... She, she had high charisma, but she didn't use it well. She was very much of the, like, shoot from the hip, uh, always, you know, running her mouth at the wrong times. Mm-hmm. And she learned how to not, like, soften her positions necessarily because she believed very strongly in what she believed in, but to step back, take a breath, and be like, is this the right thing to say at this moment? Mm-hmm. And she very much learned that from Roland, where it was like, okay, if I say this, is this going to set off the powder keg, or can I diffuse the situation? Mm, right, yeah. Can I apply tact yeah. to my convictions? Yeah. Do I want to apply tact to my convictions? Sure, because sometimes she will just stand up in the middle of things and be like, no, this is wrong, and you will get this over my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time, it doesn't require that. So I think that we've touched on something there that one really interesting thing that an in-game romance can do is have a profound impact on the character's development, mm-hmm. you know, as they start to possibly align themselves to someone else or at least compare their um, v- viewpoint of life to the other ones and, and to allow that to sort of change them. You know, I think about like real life relationships that I've had particularly my marriage, which I'm coming up on 15 years. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad. Not bad at all. As long as I really don't screw it up in the next couple of months, we should (laughs) should get there. Um, But like, you know, she and I are very different. We're very different animals. And uh, but we have really moved towards each other. And I think, you know, we got married at about 24 ish, 24, 25 So we're still young enough to be malleable, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I I picked up a lot of her things. She has unfortunately picked up some of my things (laughs) and, and, uh, you know, we've kind of molded together, whereas I think that would be much more difficult if I were to start a new relationship at this point. I'm kind of old and stuck. (laughs) I mean... So so I'm 36 and I got into a relationship about a year and a half, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, for the right person. Do you feel like you've changed a lot? I haven't changed a lot, but I have shifted. Because mm. I have the perspective of someone who is incredibly dear to me and whose opinion I care about. And something that I might usually blow off because, you know you know, who are you to tell me this sort of thing, I pause and think about because this person has said it to me and I'm more likely to listen. And I, I mean, on a, <laughs> I changed the way that I edit things because something was suggested that I had a visceral, oh God, no reaction to initially. And now yes. that is the way that I edit. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. And that's like not super romantic, but it's also like that changed something very fundamental and something that I do for hours a day every day. Wow. So that that is something where you had a hard philosophy about and yeah. then you were still able to shift in the opposite direction. Yeah, because I, I they presented it to me. I had the immediate, oh, my God, why? No, I don't like I don't like change for the sake of change. But then I was presented with a couple of other reasons of why it might be useful. And then it was dropped. And I thought about it. And then it kept niggling the back of my mind. I was like, all right, let's try it. You're right. 
and it works. It works really well. And it's actually better and in some ways faster than the way that I was doing things. So how would you translate that into player advice? You know, if like players are thinking about doing some sort of romance between each other or with a a GM's NPC, you know, how might those experiences color the way you would advise them? I mean, the first thing is consent is key. Make absolutely sure that everyone is on the same page. 100%. This is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently because I did effectively two session zeros for the Thirsty Sword Lesbians game that I'm running over on Q&C. I did a private one that was just the players in the room and me where we talked about lines and veils very deeply and intensely and set some boundaries. And one of them is romance stuff. I mean, Thirsty Sword Lesbians, it's right there in the name. Right, yeah, it's they're for that. They're thirsty and they're queer. <laughs> like, that is that is kind of what you're signing up for. By, by the way, I vaguely know what thirst means, kind <laughs> of. But as a, you know, uh, a cis white scum, can you just explain <laughs> it to me and the other normies? Um, I mean, it's basically like, oh my gosh, that person is so hot. I'm thirsty for them. Right. Okay. So that's pretty much what I figured. Yeah. So the way that I describe thirsty sword lesbians to people is, you know, like the scene in Princess Bride or a couple of other uh, films and television shows where people are doing this beautiful sword fighting scene and there's this give and take between them and you can cut like the tension between them with a knife and, yeah, like like Wesley and Inigo. Yeah. And then, you know, like one of them pins the other up against the wall with a sword and they're staring <laughs> at each other, both breathing hard. And you're screaming at the, <laughs> and you're screaming at the screen. It just kiss already. <laughs> that is Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Right. But you're not really supposed to follow through right away. Right. Like that's supposed to be like the will they won't they. Sure. You know, kind of the, the excruciating process. Oh, yeah, because there I mean, there is a move in the like general moves uh, that, that the players can do is uh, ki- uh, kiss it. What, what is it called? Um, kiss after a tense scene. <laughs> so it's so like it's there's like, all of like this a codified power. mechanic. Yeah. So it's like all of this tension is built up and built up and built up and it can turn into nothing else but this beautiful kiss. Or you kill each other. One of the and, I, and you did watch uh, the new Shira series, right? Not yet. Oh my god! I know. It... <laughs> <laughs> I Even heard, I've seen that. I have heard this from everyone, especially running Thirsty Sword Lesbians, that I need to watch this bloody show, and I haven't yet. I'm pretty sure this game is based on that show. <laughs> it um, wouldn't. I mean, there is actually a setting uh, like uh, uh, some something of, of House Gay Skull. <laughs> So, I mean, there were definitely, uh, let's say, inspiration taken from She-Ra and He-Man. Let's let's just say that the the tension there is long and excruciating. Mm, we love to see it. Yes, it does not pay off for a long time. I mean, as, as it shouldn't, you have to build up to the proper the proper uh, knife point. Well, you know, and this is one of the things that uh, was a weakness in the otherwise outstanding series known as Cheers. Mm. Um, Have you seen Cheers? No. (laughs) Have you seen any of Cheers? No. Okay, do you know vaguely what I'm talking about? (laughs) The bar where everyone knows your name. Correct. Okay, all right, good enough. (laughs) And Ted Danson was in it before he turned into a silver fox. 
Correct. Yes. Uh, before the good place. Right. Um, so, yeah, when he was a younger man, uh, he played a character uh, who was a ex baseball player and current bar owner, uh, Sam. And Sam was like kind of like a playboy womanizer, ladies man, uh, you know, no commitment type guy. Right. And then he meets this bookish, educated, sort of prudish girl named uh, Diane. And the whole series is a will they, won't they Ah. with a bunch of like comedy and antics. And they go from I like you to I hate your guts to I like you again. Like it's almost never moderate. It's almost always like like enemies, lovers. Okay. And and finally they let the two of them get together and it's actually kind of a bad thing for the show mm. it, it kind of hurts it in a way so I, I guess this you know all that being said you know perhaps if you're if you would like to experience like tense romance without any follow-through it's actually a great trope in storytelling sort of an unrequited love sure or something that is left unspoken, because that can also just be beautifully tragic. <laughs> oh, my God. It really can be. I mean, it is like the Eowyn thing, right? Yes. Which is the other side of the romance that I picked up on. Up, eh. It's one of the reasons why I stopped watching Castle, to be honest. Really? You yeah. just couldn't take it anymore? I was so frustrated by everything that they went through to keep them apart. I was like, just let them get together. Just let them get married. It's fine. <laughs> it's let them, fine. Let them go solve mysteries together. Like, that's... what Are you saying that, that the formula of your show is broken, that you have to have this tension in order to make it work? Mm. Yeah, I, I think they were afraid of the Cheers effect, where the ratings severely dropped after they got together. And and that and that's, a, that's a valid fear, but, like, on the other side of it is the frustration of... There's no good reason for this to constantly be delayed. Or it's feeling contrived or forced. Yeah. It's kind of like how Lost did with all of its plot points. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And audiences are keen to that sort of thing. And I think players are also keen to that sort of thing. So I would say then for player advice, um, really think about whether or not you want to follow through on a romance. And if you do, what do you want that to look like? Like, is it something where it's like Caledry and Roland, where it's it is a I would say and correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, that for both of them, it was a an anchor point, Mm -hmm. something very powerful that they could both count on in the midst of all of the weird nonsense that was going on around them. Yeah, it wasn't a will they won't they. It wasn't a tension thing. It was a. You're we're helping each other understand why it is that we do what we do. Yeah. And maybe helping redefine those reasons a little bit like it was very much a romance for the sake of like character development. Yeah. As opposed to like any sort of thirst. (laughs) (laughs) And also because they were better together than they were apart. Correct. Yeah, I would say they were. 100%. 100%. I think that what they what they did together allowed them to reach heights that they wouldn't have done otherwise. Yeah. And so and so that can be a really good like touchstone for a player to to work from whether that's with an NPC romance or with a fellow player character romance to look right. at that and be like 
is this someone is this someone that I want to have as an anchor point as a as someone who I accept influence from as someone who I want to grow with do I want it to be the like constant will they won't they which can be fun if you decide on that and that's something that you want to explore yeah. I I think that if Oh uh, God! Was it John Oliver who 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 said that it you know se- uh, uh, sex is like boxing? If only one person knows what's going on, it's a crime. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a John Oliver quote. <laughs> something like that. Something very much along the lines <laughs> of you know both people need to be enthusiastically consenting to what is going on. Correct. And I think that is a big key to any romance in TTRPGs. Everyone involved needs to enthusiastically consent. Yeah, I think I think that's obviously number one, you know, and I think we've done pretty well at outlining why you as a player might be interested in this sort of thing. I think it's a really good way to become emotionally invested. Uh, But if you're not comfortable, then there's plenty of it. Plenty of other things for you to get motivated about, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, like, interpersonal uh, bromances are also very much a thing. I mean, in the same game, Jackson and Kelladry were brother and sister. They they, Mm -hmm. they were ride or die for each other, and there was absolutely no question of whether or not they were together. (laughs) Right, yeah. They looked at each other and and went, ew, you're a girl. Ew, you're old. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um... (laughs) I, I think that was well, and I did have Roland do some flirting up front um, where I was really thinking about dialogue at the time. And I mm. was trying to let our first meeting have a lot of subtext. And uh, I tried to say what I wanted to say without saying it. And uh, that took a lot of concentration <laughs> to try to try to do it. But I think it made him more charming as as a result. True, but also like one of my favorite moments was when Roland was like, "I have no words," and Kelly's like, "Yes, I made a bard speechless. Yes, yes. <laughs> I win." Yeah, and I I couldn't think of anything clever to say, and then it hit me that is the clever thing to say is that the bard is speechless, right? Yeah, and that was always a good out for me, and to say, "Okay, you win. You get you get all of my romance hit points." Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, that was a coup de gras. I have to make saving throws now. Um, so <laughs> that that was that was really good because he is very confident. He's very like I'm in control of this until he's not. You know? Until he's and not because of the 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 romance. Oh God, I might be feeling this kind of issue. And then even at first, I think Keller Drew was more willing to say what she felt, and he was a lot more reluctant to make moves. And to make declarations. Yeah. And she and she was and she was very much in the like, this is going to be fun, but this isn't meant to be a thing. Because she didn't really have commitment on the mind. And then right. she at first it was started, fun. Yeah. And yeah. it stayed fun, just in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean it was always fun for us, right? <laughs> to to torture these two pl- poor characters. It's 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 so much fun to torture characters. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Yes. Um, so uh, I think, you know, if the secret ingredient is love, that also uh, <laughs> goes further when we're talking about different kinds of love, right? Romantic love being part of that. It's a great way to motivate. Um, so if it is something that you are interested in as a player, 
then uh, step one, talk it out. Mm-hmm. Out of a game. Yes. Yeah, don't... I mean, it, it will come up in-game, but you can you can absolutely table it and talk about it when emotions aren't heated at that particular moment, like there might be something else going on or whatever. Come back to it out of game. Talk about it when everyone is ready to. And I mean, GMs, if, if your players have a romance, that's an easy hook. That's an easy yeah. lever. It absolutely is, because anytime Keller Dree was in danger, it was like, well, time to drop everything I'm doing and deal with that, <laughs> right? And, something uh, that drove that, her absolutely nuts. <laughs> so it was something that that uh, the GM could just twist whenever he felt like it. Yeah. So, which was totally fine. I was down for that. But, you know, I would also say, but for reals, talk about it because you don't want to assume. Yeah. Right. And and it's really even true in like real relationships. You you do some flirting, you do some talking. You're like, oh, we've been on a phone conversation for like three hours. I think there's something here. You may still want to just say, hey, I just want to check in. What do you think is happening here? Right. And really just say what you want. And that doesn't stop just because something has actually like happened. Like true in yeah. in real romances, just like in uh, TTRPG romances, you got to keep checking in to be like, "Hey, we good? We on the same page? Is there anything that we need to correct? Is there anything that we need to look at?" Yeah, take inventory, ask important questions, and listen. Of course, is like number one, right? Yep. Um, just listen. That was the number one. That was the number one lesson that I took out of uh, all of acting school. Acting is reacting, and reacting is listening. Absolutely. By the way, what was your favorite role you ever played in acting? Honestly, I think one of my absolute favorites was right toward the beginning of my career as as an actor was Maela Ewell from To Kill a Mockingbird. Ah, wow. She was fascinating to dive into because like on on in the play script she's really like kind of monotone but i went back and reread the book and was like this is someone who grew like red geraniums in broken pots to try and bring this little bit of beauty into this horrible life that she had Mm -hmm. and when someone showed her kindness she clung to that to the point of being selfish about it and there was a lot to dig into there and i really I enjoyed that. I don't think I did as well with it as I could because I was, I I was just turning nineteen. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was almost. I half mean, a even really famous ago. actors, you see them in like their first role, and you're like, wow, they've really come a long way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would I would approach Mayla very differently now. Now that I'm you know twice as old as I was when I played her, <laughs> because I have all those life experiences. But at the time, it was very raw. And I think that that lent a certain charm to it. And I think of it still very fondly. Well, I think uh, all that being said, I'm glad uh, that you are joining us as part of the show. Um, Us is now pretty much you and me. Here we go. (laughs) With some what what we want to do is whenever Andrew gets uh, the hypes, as you know that he does, <laughs> um, whenever he you know gets hyper fixated on a new shiny thing, we're gonna have him come on and just uh, vomit all over the place 
um, all of his excitement. And uh, that'll be fun when that happens. Although I'm not sure that will happen for a little while. He does need some time and we we wish him luck in that. But uh, in the meantime, we're glad that we can keep Inspiration Point alive. And I'm very, very glad to have you, Tiana, as um, as my new partner doing this. I'm really excited for this, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's it's good to have a space to talk about the thing that I love without someone telling me, please stop talking about your characters. I'm bored. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and in fairness, like TTRPGs are a lot of what I do. So it's a lot of what I have to talk about. That's yeah, it's hard if someone hasn't been there in the game. Yeah. Or at least hasn't done it a lot. It's it is hard to listen to someone else's experience. It can be. Absolutely. It can be. But uh, we have lots more to talk about. And next time, hopefully we'll talk about <laughs> carrying capacity, <laughs> carrying capacity and ammo tracking and all of the little minutia. That's right. The forgotten rules in the forgotten realms. Um, Ooh, that's what you should call it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what you should call it because you'll be posting everything. Fair point. Um, yeah. Uh, I am. I'm just the uh, pretty face here. Tiana is going to do all the real work. Says the person running two patron games. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, uh huh. But uh, I'm enjoying the the patron games, and it looks like we're going to take one of them all the way to level twenty. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, and that's the one that you are in, and uh, that is awesome. I The other one might go that way, too. I've built a really big world. It's a big custom world. That's exciting. Uh, with custom flora and fauna to collect and analyze and break down and craft with. Oh, it's it's the Monster Hunter world. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, it's a big Monster Hunter game. Uh, but all of the big, big bads are trees. <laughs> it's weird <laughs> it's cool. a weird game but i think we're enjoying it i'm pretty sure we're enjoying it i mean given it given uh, all the hype that i see around that that channel when tuesdays are coming up i think i think you're i think you've hit something special there yeah well that you know <laughs> i saw a really funny uh gif of I maybe it was on tiktok or something or maybe someone posted i forget but anyway it was like uh I think a Mr. Bean movie, <laughs> and, you know, with like Rowan Atkinson yeah, and yeah. he's he's like looking over at someone else's test, like obviously trying to copy off of it. And I think the caption was me as the GM looking at the note taker player trying to figure out what the GM's plans are. <laughs> I swear most of the time in the redaction reports, when, when Dan just sits back and listens to us red string, I swear that's when he comes up with what's actually going on. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's a good idea. That's right? a better idea than what I had. <laughs> just a racist. <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, and like th that happened. To, honestly, tangent. Sorry. This happened last night when when we were doing uh, Thirsty Sword Lesbians and uh, the players started talking both in and out of character about theories about what they thought was going on. And I'm like, this is a three episode short shot. I can't dive as deep as I want to on this. But oh, my God, these ideas are good. Are, do you feel like this is like the game for you? Like this is this was like written for you to yeah. run? <laughs> it's like th like it's all like the stars are aligning here. 
it's partially the stars aligning because the game system is so good, but also the players are just amazing. They're I all abs- they're just here for it. They have the most wonderful chemistry and one a topic I'd love to talk about at some point is one of the secret ingredients that I think is super important to a game now is curiosity. Hmm. And I'll leave it at that so you all can uh, listen another time, perhaps. Absolutely. I think that that is a good place to call it uh, for this episode. And uh, hope you all enjoy it. And until next time, stay inspired. (laughs) Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. 